Education is so massively important. As many of you know, I'm a high school teacher. It's something that gets discussed regularly on the show, and sharing knowledge and experiences is one of the key pillars of this show. This past week, one of my former students, Felix, passed away in a car accident at the age of 18. Nobody deserves this, and no parent should ever have to say goodbye to their child, especially in such circumstances. Felix actually listened to Dev Dari, and so this episode goes out to him. Felix, wherever you may be right now, I hope you're at peace and still learning. On with the episode. As an industry, we've made it our business to learn about games, how they work, about their resonance, and their successes or failures, but there's a human side to the industry as well. My name is Paul James and welcome to Dev Diary, a series that explores and celebrates the incredible feats of the people behind the games, as we dive into their stories, the highs, the lows, and everywhere in between. In this episode, I'm joined by Max Pears, current level designer at CD Projekt Red. So join us as we explore his journey. So today I'm joined by Max. How are you? I'm good, mate. Thank you very much for having you on. Having you? I see I'm switching around from me. Yeah, roles reversed. Normally. <laughs> exactly. No, but thank you very much for having me on the show, mate. Absolute pleasure to be talking to you, buddy. No, I'm, I'm thrilled to have you on. We've been bouncing back and forth about this for a little while in the lead up to your book launch. Um, that's now been a yes. guide and we'll talk about that in a bit of detail shortly. But uh, it's good, good fun to have you on board and uh, it's good to see that you know we can all still slip into the host chair accidentally, even when we're guests from time to time. So we've all we've all been there, I'm sure. So that's life. That's it. Yeah, I'll I'll memorize your introduction and I'll do it. <laughs> we'll get it switched. The one that I can't memorize myself and have to do it separately. <laughs> uh, so this is Dev Diary, a series where we talk to developers from throughout the industry. They share their stories, their experiences, and the journey that has led to and culminated in this current point in juncture. But Max, before we get to your time in the industry. I thought we'd rewind a little bit and discuss some of the games that you played before you got into the industry. Do you remember Do you remember by chance sure. what the first game was that you ever played? Or some of the first I games that you played? Yeah, I, I don't... I can't remember which was the, the first, but definitely, like, my, my earliest memory has to be that of... I remember, like, running upstairs to see my uncle and my father playing Metal Gear Solid 1. And, you know, there's nothing cooler... It's a good starting point. A, it's a great starting point, mate. But, like, for, I think I was four years old, and to see you know it was the it was the battle with gray gray fox sorry oh yeah nothing's okay. cooler than a robot ninja to to anyone even if you are four or you know 34 or however old you are nothing is cooler it's than good that. for all ages and that to me was yeah it was one that just like really stuck with me crash bandicoot was another absolutely loved loved that 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 game just so much fun and seeing it now to be remastered and in the hands again is is incredible as well as I guess some of like the early Final Fantasy sevens, and now when I say this, I I was not completing any of these just for the record. I just remember playing them. That's I did say I was good at them. Let's put put that clear. But uh, that yeah, and so, some other incredible games like that, Pokemon on the Game Boy, that was phenomenal as well. So yeah, it's mem- trip down memory lane. But those some of my personal favorites. I remember sinking many many time and hours into it sounds like we cut our teeth on similar sorts of games or in some cases mm-hmm. the exact same game now crash is one that i didn't actually play until the remaster came along for some reason i just missed it when i was a kid um and uh, you know i can see the the pros and cons and what uh, what the game was like back in the day but yeah i mean the likes of final yes. fantasy 7 i spent a ton of time playing i think i mean i i kind of began with the super nintendo but I, and i remember playing final fantasy 6 and finishing it by the t- when i was like maybe five or six or something like that like wow i 
it certainly accelerated my uh, my English skills. That's for sure. Just you have to, to be able to you, understand what was going on. Yeah, the that is one that is still on my to do list because I just kind of missed out on six. Yeah, and I hear incredible it's things wonderful. about it, like that. That and Chrono Trigger are on, very much on my. I'm kind of annoyed that neither of them have come out on the Switch. Like yeah. those are the re-releases I would like to see. You know, more than like nine or something or eight. Just nothing wrong with those games, but no, there's, there's definitely lot, nothing wrong with nine. Nine's my favorite game of all time, so yeah. I'm not gonna. <laughs> Nine's great. I'm. I'm. I see. Again, I didn't finish nine. I'm actually playing it right now on the Switch. As oh, well. good. So I'm about. Uh, where am I? So it's the bit where you go back to i've forgotten her name is it Faye the rat uh, oh yeah um uh, so you're off warrior. to burmesia you're going to her city yes yeah right so yeah just where we've just gone past it and there we're at like the refugee area yes out up in the uh so yes in the, the in the tornado so that's where i currently am with nine because it was one of my best mate's favorite final fantasy as well so it was one that you know again i'm making my way through and that's why i'd like six on the switch because i'd love to be able just to play that one as well man. i certainly feel like square enix is holding on to both so that and chrono trigger in kind of a in case of emergency break glass sort of capacity like if we if we need mm. something if maybe maybe we haven't put anything out for this month we'll just we'll drop final fantasy 6 or chrono trigger out there for people yeah it's it's an interesting one especially with that the new announcement of what was it the final fantasy 7 like all crisis so it has oh, like the original yeah. the mobile game crisis core and i think was it dirge cerberus or I don't yeah dirge cerberus yeah it does have it then in that new kind of chibi art style i guess um so it's i'm excited for that one because crisis core is my personal favorite final fantasy ever that it's one's a fantastic my... game oh yeah i'd argue like... that's better than seven itself but please don't please I, don't stone I'm... me don't stone either. i mean i guess it's your favorite <laughs> game of the franchise don't stone any of us people so anyway. i yeah, i agree with you though mate i think there's so much uh in there and i got to meet uh herbata the the director on that one and it was a you know surreal moment just to say to him just thank you for for that one because that and to the whole team obviously it's not just him who who made that there's a whole team behind that so it was a yeah it's it's incredible just how much that has stood the test of time that whole series and even even playing the remake all there are there are clearly some differences it redefines itself still yeah and also man like how the everlasting kind of core values which is sad to see but also just shows you how much that can translate was it through time 20 30 years later on you know like it's pretty precious a lot there oh it's it's insane and just it it just makes you think like i said it's incredible that it does it but also sad that we're still (laughs) looking at the same issues well yeah there's yeah there's a a few of those i guess whole uh, that carry through but uh, let's let's hope yeah. that in time they just gradually get chipped away and eradicated but i, I exactly. mean even even today no, as of great. when we record there was this final fantasy 14 event and i've seen so many people sharing bits and pieces from that and i've looked yes. and gone oh i, I i've struggled with mmos in the past just because of the the time commitment involved and i'm looking mm. at it and this is, and i know how highly everyone speaks of the game and i just i think i think the time is now to knuckle under and and jump in so i'm on the same boat as hundreds you, of hours I'm not later too sure if i'm good yeah, I'm not sure if I'm going to do it, but I hear again great thing because that Endwalker, that song for Endwalker as well, that theme yes. the trailer is really good. So now I'm uh, I'm excited for to to see. It. I don't know if I'll jump in because again it is such a, a time sink, but it's it looks it's tempting. 
Oh, for sure. And, and <laughs> for if anyone sure. out there wants us to start our own Final Fantasy podcast based on this conversation, then please just <laughs> shout out because apparently we could go for days on this thing. We better get back to business. Exactly. Was there was there a sure. point or even specifically a game that you recognised um, as kind of a key defining point that maybe steered you towards getting involved in game creation? You've obviously outlined a lot of games you played when you were younger and got you interested yeah. in the medium, but was there, was there a game or even a, a collection of titles that help steer you towards actually creating them instead sure i I mean i definitely think metal gear solid as as many people in the industry will say is is one of the defining factors to show to show what it was as 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 where games can move forward too so that one for sure i said crisis core was another one i think that i think that was the first game that made me cry and i think that was a, a big moment for me just because I don't think that the debate's even happening anymore but you know there's this constant question of how good was uh, how good are the stories in games can they make you feel that you know is game art are we art etc but the those ones that like i say i will always kind of reference of metal gear solid one and crisis core final fantasy 10 was another big one i think that especially because it's the first time i think like voice acting was in the final fantasy yes. franchise and seeing that and also hearing the more orchestral soundtrack too was and the, you know again these with most of the final fantasy ones but these larger than life um, kind of adventures that we have right that these worlds look very similar to ours with some small tweaks and it just makes it feel so fantastical in comparison yeah the technology really op- think, opening up a lot of possibilities there like the improvements for in sure technology. i was very late to ico but Ico, when I like play, because I was already working in the industry at the time. But when I played Ico for the very first time, then I think it was about 2014. Yeah, that opened up my mind more to emotions in video games and how we can like really. And we're seeing a lot of indie games are doing it. Some triple A's have done some incredible jobs as well. But it just oh, it made me go, wow! Like there's so much still left to uncover with games and how to to interact i was speaking to a friend of mine about cinematography and how you know currently we'd we're just focused on first person third person there have been advances at different on different sections of them for yep. sure but we i don't think we've figured out the language quite as well as films have now obviously films you have way more control but just i don't know that it's hard to put it down those are the early stage games but every time i play something new there's always something to take away there's always something to learn and make you think yeah, I mean, I, you, I need you hit on something think, yeah. kind of salient there, like in terms of the cinematography part and kind of the difference between mm-hmm. the medium and film and those sort of things. And I guess the question that probably a lot of people who are in the development scene and working on that particular aspect of games are probably asking is like, mm. how close to film do we want to get for our particular game? Yes. Or because that could obviously look different from from game to game, from IP to IP, from person to person, um, and you know are we looking to kind of replicate film or are we looking to forge our own path and trying to find that sweet spot in the middle, I'm sure is something that yeah. people are looking for fairly regularly. It's quite a challenge, I'm sure. Sure. I think it is. And I think also it's as we talked about like the technology, right? It opens up new, you know, routes for us to try yep. and also new issues for us to figure out and solve too. And I think, because that's the thing, I don't think we'll ever get, well, I don't know about ever, but we're not going to have the same cinematography like language as films yep. due to the fact that the player has more agency control of the camera exactly 
but the the thing that I recently watched uh, a great video called if you if anyone wants to find it, it's called cinematography in Shadow of Colossus, and it was during that and Resident Evil Four because beforehand third person was just the character was always in the center of the screen, but in those two games it was the character was more to the left playing more on yeah, the just slightly of thirds off in composition. Exactly, you know you see it in the Batman series where again he takes up a lot of the left hand side of the screen when he's walking when he runs it pulls out. But again, all these small things have like slowly changed how we interact with it, what cameras can do, the emotions you want to feel. Because like I said, I love the Arkham Asylum because when he's taking up almost two-thirds of the screen, you feel the presence of Batman. You want to be like, wow, Batman is here. He's the strong hero. And I'm that and close to being in his again, boots. <laughs> exactly. And it just it works so magnificently. So there's still, like you said, we're never going to be films, and I'm grateful for that. It's just interesting to see where we're going to go and how just small tweaks just made by just a whim or a thought of someone can have such a long impact in this industry yeah. and change it is, is incredible. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, on the cinematography side, again, we think about, say, what uh, Corey Barlog and the team at San- Sony Santa Monica tried to do with the yeah. one cut, uh, one-shot camera with God of War there, but then we also, Correct. on the other side, think about the influence of technology through something like VR, for example, and what that's looking to uh, mm. achieve there. There's so many different ways and paths that we're kind of... Uh, splintering off in and it's probably fair yeah. to say there's no one right way to do it it's no uh, and to be fair there's probably not one right way in film either um because it's all circumstantial as well but it's it's constantly evolving constantly growing and i think it's probably one of the most exciting parts of this this industry is the fact that yeah we haven't hit some point where there's there's nowhere else to go and i don't think we ever will really which is fantastic no definitely and as you said it's it's those small changes. I mean, like when you think about God of War and then 1917, which I mean, what came like a couple of years after yep. or even just a year after, I think. And again, different mediums, but you're seeing how different it can be from a one-track shot, you know, on a film set versus a one-track shot in a game. In a game. And, you know, I loved it. They, they did the, a few episodes of a podcast and I think there's a great talk where one of the, uh, who was it? I think one of the car- uh, camera designers says about it's the moment where Atreus first kills a human and Kratos is trying to get to him because you don't know where the player is going to be. That cutscene where they make the player roll, they do that oh, to actually yeah. put the Kratos where they need him to be because you don't know where the character is going to finish from where that cutscene starts. So they do that roll to reset the camera and they do a few of them throughout it to, again, make it doesn't make you think that it's cut while they're actually repositioning the player. Again, just genius, genius thoughts to solving that problem yeah i mean it was that. something so that, yeah no it's same looking at it as a consumer it wasn't something that i'd considered at the time like i'm not in the i'm not in the game development scene whatsoever but um mm. i had i mean i've always had a massive appreciation for those involved i mean that's you know we've got this show here where i'm trying to celebrate and recognize yeah. people in that for that exact reason but it's one of those things that i guess without it being pointed out to me i would not have even considered I'd, and, and then you realize that there's this wizardry going on in the background that Mm. just pops up all the time and we're seeing similar sorts of stories in other games as well it's fantastic and you're a part yeah. of it so yes a small small part your your journey began you uh teesside university in game design um so you obviously yeah you knew as we've already established there quite early on you you wanted to get involved in games um mm. the course opened up for you and you you took it on i think it was a four-year course is that right so yes, so what happened was, like I said, I knew I wanted to get into to games. 
and I'm from a, a small town. It's it's bigger now, but back when I was a, a, a wee lad, it was a small place called Harrogate, which you know very very fortunate to to live in. And I remember, <laughs> you know, saying I wanted to get into video games to the career uh, counselors. Oh yeah, okay, at the school. They didn't have a clue about it, and you know. So to be fair to them, they didn't say don't do it. They just didn't know what to recommend or say to me, which was you know completely fine because it made me go off and learn. I think the first game I made was when I was 15. It wasn't anything spectacular. It was a spaceship in Flash. You had two buttons to move it left or right as asteroids just fell down. So again, nothing that is going to break primitive, the industry. But, but it was, it's a starting point. Yeah, it was fun to make. Exactly. And it was fantastic. And then during that time, I had some incredible IT and media study teachers who really tried to help me and you know, push me forward. And from that there, that's when I heard about Teesside University. It was one of the best, I think it still is, in the UK for that subject. I think there was Bournemouth, Teesside and Avatar University. <laughs> I think those were the top three at the time when I was there. And then uh, Little Big Planet came out and I was able to use their level editor to like kind of make a, a portfolio while applying to these universities and luckily enough the hard work paid off i was able to to go through to the university now it's supposed to be a three-year course but you can if you are fortunate enough to get a sandwich year to work in year in industry and that's what i was able to do i worked at a mobile company called fog media which was a great place in Sunderland. Really nice people. That I, I learned a ton from. We worked on truck license and two. Yep. Yes, truck license two and a few others there. Pygmy Panic, I think. Truck license two was yes. Truck license two was probably the 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 biggest one due to uh, making it on the app charts. We got a couple yep. of games that were in there. We got in the top hundred and top fifty, which is you know incredible achievement at the time. I know it wasn't top ten or number one. I'm still very proud of, of, of that. No, as you should be. It was by the team. And yeah, Pygmy Panic was uh, for a different thing. This was uh, for a competition up in Scotland called uh, Dare to be Digital, which I just finished. So I just finished my year at Fog Media. They said if I wanted, I could stay on. But we got this incredible opportunity to go to this competition. We were the first team from our university to make it to the finals. There's over like 150 teams that would apply and only 15 got to the final stage. And it was great because we were getting paid to do this and to That's do handy. our own ideas. Oh, yeah, it was incredible. Like, it was a very fortunate situation and got to meet some of my, you know, some close friends now through this. And Pee Panic was us, was using augmented reality to try be, bring to life a child's imaginary friend. And I think that was the, the funnest game that I've personally worked on. And it has my favorite memory as a dev. I think I've mentioned it on, on another podcast, but it was the moment where, because you have to develop it for, I believe it's six to seven weeks, and then the final week you're presenting it in this small kind of conference. Yep. And we had this, uh, this grandfather and his granddaughter come play the game and said, it's augmented reality, so you move around, you're trying to protect this you know, augmented reality uh, pygmy from oncoming brutes who are trying to kidnap it. And he comes over and he's like, when's this coming out? And I was like, oh, we're not sure yet. It's just the, the demo for it. We'll see if it goes further. And he said, well, his, his granddaughter suffers from autism. And he says he's ne he'd never seen her interact and act how she was while playing it. And it was just like this very sweet moment where, you know, uh, two family members got to bond over this. And I think that 
that we talked about earlier like the power of narrative and yeah. games and you know christ call making me cry but that was a moment for me where i was like wow we we did what we wanted to do we we brought some people together and that was it's powerful you know, still, stuff still is yeah and my I, favorite memory still to this day uh, i mean a lot of people from you know past episodes i've had on the show where they're talking about uh, some of their favourite moments being exactly that, going down to the show floor at, at PAX or various other conventions around the world and they get to have these interactions with consumers or prospective consumers. Yeah. Um, and they, they don't know them. It's this it's this one person or a, group, a small group of people amongst all the chaos, the thousands of people everywhere, which is something I can't personally even comprehend at the moment with all the COVID stuff that's gone on. The idea of... I mean, yeah. PAX Australia is locked in for later this year and I, I, wow. I've, I've got my... I've, I applied for a media pass the other day and it just doesn't feel like that's that should be real but it's shaping yeah. up there. we'll see what happens um, but amongst all of that chaos you find this this couple or this individual or whatever this group that just latches on in some really mm. heartfelt and meaningful way and it's it makes it all worth it the the days of no sleep yeah. and the the crushing crowds piling in or maybe you're not getting that many people come through for whatever reason but that moment makes it all worth it it's I guess for everyone in games, regardless of the context, whether it's on a show floor or or playing Crisis Core, you know, people going off and playing Crisis Core once it, once it comes out, those moments must yeah. be so treasured for people working on these titles. They are, mate. And I think it's also a, a shame and a little bit that we, how do I say, not all developers get a chance to to go to these events, yeah. right? Like some companies don't take the devs, some do, but obviously you can only take a limited amount. Yeah, if you're a big AAA and studio, I, there's only so many people you can afford to send. Yeah, and I remember, you know, at one point, uh, uh, Ubisoft, they'd sent people over to, to E3 back when I was working on the division. And it was strange because they came back and like, guys, you should be excited. People are excited to play this, but you didn't feel it because you weren't there. Yeah. And like getting that secondhand information, it doesn't have the same impact. I've been very fortunate enough to to go to E3, Tokyo Game Show, and, and other incredible events yep. in my career. And you, you know, I w- I wish that all devs would get that chance to do it, even if I know some aren't comfortable with going out and meeting people. Some people are more introverted. Perfectly fine. Some people don't want to sell the game in that yeah, sense. Yeah, don't say anything, but just watch. Just, yeah exactly you can just see people's reactions that you could just just take a chance to remember what people are saying i think would be one of the best for sure and i'm sure they're especially you know if you if you're going there to present a game that is at the time still a work in progress i'm sure they're really formative pieces of uh, formative moments and really helpful piece of information as well that you can bring back and help inform the remainder of yes. development there's there's the obviously the, sure. the really nice emotional side that's really really heartwarming but there's also data there which is, I guess, yes. a two for one in some in in a, in a nice way. Exactly, exactly, mate. And it's always important to to hear what people are saying. You know, it's you may not follow through on certain things just due to either time or maybe what they've suggested doesn't align with the overall vision. Yeah. But there's always something that, again, like you said, there's just so much information you can get from from players and in in, in viewers of it. So it's a great experience. It is strange to think that it's. It's coming back because it hasn't happened now for over over a year and a bit now. So, yeah, yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. It's uh, in the case of Pax Australia, it's still four or five months away, and there's a lot of water to pass mm. under the bridge. But fingers crossed. So, yes. you've got a few experiences at this point. So there's Fog Media. You've just you've just outlined the the mm. that other opportunity that you had there in presenting uh, Pygmy Panic and and everything that came with that. Yeah. 
how did you then make the jump to Ubisoft? Because mm. you know, they're not a small company and you don't have a ton <laughs> yeah. of experience at this point. You, For the most part, you've basically just finished your studies. It's So they're, they're, I'd imagine yeah. they, was it just a simple case of them taking a chance on a newbie or how did, how did that kind of come to be? Yeah, that was a, it's quite a, a great story, in my opinion, uh, for it, is that so during that time when I was working at Fog Media, I went to many different conferences. And one of them, the my university holds, which is called Animex, which I was very fortunate to give a talk at last year. And there was a, uh, a great lad called Andy, Andy Willens, who is now the game director over at Sumo Digital. Congratulations to him and his team, because they just launched HUD uh, Outlaws. Oh, yeah, of course this last week so there that's that's the game there but he was a uh, senior game designer at the time at ubisoft and we met uh, at this conference called animex we had a good laugh together that we were just having a good good chat and i showed him the mobile games i was working on and he really you know was like okay wow so you've released games you still need studies though okay and we kept in contact here and there but then he came over to Dare to be Digital, the, the, where I was doing the Big yep. Panic, the competition there. And he was actually one of the judges. So when he came around, we instantly recognized each other. And it was like, oh, hey, how are you doing? And because he'd seen my previous work, and now he's seeing again what I'm working on there. It just kind of strengthened our relationships. We went out for drinks together. So networking is a big, big, important part for, for anyone, I think. Because if it wasn't for Andy, and well, we mentioned Manny Diaz in a second as well. That connection, yeah. I don't think I would have had as great of a chance if it wasn't for for meeting Andrew by going to these conferences and presenting my work as well. Like, don't get me wrong, I got some feedback which was it hurt because you're hoping it wows people, and sometimes it doesn't, and that's okay because again, you're getting the data for feedback. It's constructive. And they also appreciate. Yeah, exactly. So it's incredible to to have that. So then, roundabout, I'm kind of getting ready in my final year to finish up my studies, and two mates of mine who, because I went into a year experience, they graduated a year before I did, were artists over at Ubisoft. And they told me there was a small conference uh, going on and the lead level designer, Manny Diaz, was going to be there. And I remember like, oh my God, like I need to get over there. And it was happening during school hours. So I went to my uh, lecturer, whose you know, hour I was supposed to be doing and studying. Yeah. I was like, miss, can you please just just let me go? Give me a free pass for this one. Incredible opportunity, yeah. And she said, go for it. And I will never forget that because that was a very nice thing for her to do. She could have marked me absent. She could have made it a big deal on my record, but she was very understanding and let me and a friend called Mo head over. So I went over. I had the demo of Pygmy Panic there as well. Manny Diaz does his talk, incredible talk. And I'm just like, do you mind if I show you something? So I showed it to him. He really liked that. I'd shown him some more. And obviously him and Andrew knew each other. And then they had an intern request uh, sort of uh position yeah open up yeah and from that there just because of going showing my work building up a portfolio filled with release games because the other thing is when you go to these courses your portfolios will all look the same you know regardless of which university yeah. you're at because everyone's doing similar you know coursework so the fact that i had something different point of difference. games under my belt exactly it was able from there to to go off and have the great opportunity to work at ubisoft which again incredible place to work i had you know such informative time like informative years of my career there and i'm very very happy i, I was able to work there to learn 
from an incredible team that we had on on the division so it was just yeah a great great time for me and as i said networking is important doing your own work very important and making sure you can present it as well those are kind of my key things to people was it intimidating for you though having worked on you know little little mobile games at this point everything very small scale to then suddenly find Mm. yourself working on a a big new ip the that shared world experience so of course there's the destiny factor that's also present you know people at that stage are just looking to make that comparison at every opportunity especially Mm -hmm. once the game was kind of made public um was that intimidating for you since you're really only just cutting your teeth in this industry at at this stage so it, it was, and I think uh, it was funny just because my Manny, who who always remembers, and he tells it about it, like whenever he gave me a task, he said he's like, I could always see the flipping fear in your eyes <laughs> when you when you sat down after our talk. But he said what I liked was the fact that I would just try and, and figure it out. And there is that, but everyone was very clear, and I, I wish I listened more, and I, I kind of would advise it to, to juniors and interns. Because I was like, oh man, like I need to get better. I need to be the, the the best and stuff. When you don't, like you, you're the junior, just be a sponge. Take it all in, learn as much yep. as you can, enjoy, and pass through it. Like, don't get me wrong. Yeah, the, don't get me wrong. The pay's not great. All that stuff. You don't always get the best jobs because that's the best work is definitely done for people that have earned the trust, right? Your seniors, your yep. high intermediates. Perfect. Got the credits in the bag. No issue. Exactly. But I wish you know I kind of just sat down and studied a little bit more as in terms of just but i felt like i had to constantly keep proving which it ended up working my favor but at the same time there's nothing wrong with just learning yeah and it's it's all part and parcel of it so yeah i was intimidated i think the funniest part was kind of how the career went on because the fact that i had worked in mobile games and i had some programming knowledge by no means am i a phenomenal program was still very basic but uh we had a technical level design lead called simon cooper incredible incredible guy yep. and he he was handling the technical level design side from the main missions but we knew we needed some help on the open world and basically they said well you know how to do some programming maybe you should take up this role so i said okay and really like i mean <laughs> scoop will always say this to me he's like you shouldn't have been doing that <laughs> because you should have had more chance to to learn more again more yeah. fundamentals at certain points but it just worked out that way and ended up being a great part for my career to get that opportunity all because again past experiences had lined up for this moment and broaden your skill set further as well exactly so no it was a incredible incredible chance for for that and you know there's there's always a moment where like the entire systems had changed for whatever reason i can't remember why but it needed to be done but we got it on a we got it we had half a day to do it because we we had to like how do i call it you had to there's a deadline and then we were doing like we have these uh certain moments in, in ubisoft where you have you know a giant studio meeting to talk about the future what's the plans etc and that was happening on the same day so i just remember i'd come in i just found out and i was like oh god and i just had to go through everyone's work and do it but like again I, don't get me wrong i was not a nice guy <laughs> there because i was so stressed but the opportunity came about I ended up solving everything that needed to be done before the, the time was up. And it just, again, it, it put me in good stead there for it. So no, again, just the opportunity to take them. So yeah, it was a, it was a cool one. But again, don't wish anyone to have that sort of stress and pressure 
on them at that, that early age in their careers yeah uh, i guess to your point there's no there's no harm in necessarily taking your time and just and learning the craft yes. before ch- uh, chasing chasing those those higher duties or higher responsibilities and i mean exactly like i'm i'm a teacher professionally and it's something that i mm. i see a lot actually in you know graduates that might start there's this there's this uh, push to try and move up the pecking order nice and fast or um, yeah. whether it's whether it's because they're chasing more money or, or what you know that's that's a case by case sort of thing but I mean there's all and there's always the case of like just take your time as much yeah. as you can in that sort of profession master your craft take your time really yeah. really come to understand what you're doing what works what doesn't what you need to improve on and then and then kind of make those strides into into those other roles and sure. positions of responsibility. So it's it's always a challenge, regardless. I think of the profession you're in, and and kind of knowing what's yes. right for the individual. And you obviously knew what was right for you, and it worked out. And others, yeah. it might be better for them to take their time. That's exactly. And I, I think also like the thing is with any kind of you know craft that you're learning, you find out that you were there's so much to learn. You will not know everything. So just understanding that is is key i think there was a i can't remember who said it but there's a great quote of like if you just studied one subject for your entire life you'd only know one billionth of that subject which just like yeah blew my mind because it's just well, all right like wow so just take the time because the the most important thing is, is you learning what makes a good level to you what is your style of making a good yeah. level you know i've met so many other incredible level designers who are so much better than me at either combat or narrative in their levels or maybe getting that architectural approach in it maybe they're better at like communicating some sort of overall theme in their levels and it's only inspiring because it makes me go oh that's what in a section i can improve on so it's always important to because you're always going to be learning whether you get to senior lead director lifelong learner wherever i hope you should yeah just study 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 it's always important always yeah 100 percent. i referenced destiny before and obviously uh mm. obviously it was the 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 big dog in the in the race at that particular point in time while the division's yeah. still on the way in fact it was kind of uncontested at that particular point in time was it hard not to look over especially with the prestige that i guess that bungie has well and truly earned with all their work on halo over the years right was it hard not to look over at what they were doing obviously the you know there was a a clear difference in tone in perspective in mm. to, you know, there, there's a lot of points of difference between the two franchises but they were the oh unchallenged uh, king of it at that particular point before the division came out was it hard not to look over yeah. what they were doing and i think so because i think destiny only launched like a year or so before division like it wasn't like oh, yeah, 20, like 2014 the, the i think difference. yeah right yeah so i think we came out 2015 or it was 20 yeah either 2015 or 2016 so it really it wasn't a huge amount of time difference and yeah, it's always nerve-wracking when you're going up against such an incredible studio as, as Bungie, right? You know, they're, they've done so much to revolutionize the indie we talk, industry. We talked about that of cameras, but what they did for gunplay it cannot be understated. I mean, they with, they with made Halo. the first-person shooter on consoles work in the eyes uh, of many people. Exactly. So it's, it's, a, it's a strange one. I think what was interesting for me, so when the Destiny demo dropped because your mindset's slightly different obviously when you're working on a similar game but i saw that they were struggling with the same problems we were 
and that actually really pushed me to and, and other members of the team to go further because if you look and this is by no means a criticism of this game let me just say that like no. i respect everyone all my brothers and sisters in the industry the what i noticed is when they say defend like in the demo there's one where you're protecting uh dinklebot from like opening up a door but when they said defend there was no health bar to indicate what you're defending it's just the enemies ran at you compared to you running at the enemies so this is a one thing where i thought oh man like we need to give like a clear visual distinction of this so we created like two different open world events which were defending and you've got the actual indicator of the health bar enemies would shoot at it so it was a small thing from playing destiny i was able to go right this is because i can't control gunplay that's on our, our, our game design team and I, I personally do think destiny had better gunplay than division one destiny one did and it was more on myself and obviously the other team members again we had an incredible ld team and environment yeah. art team to to make it more about because I, I personally think you know destiny beats us on some aspects and i think we beat them on other aspects and part of that is the level design and the the world itself i think when you compare that of the the different worlds you visit versus the detail that we had in New that York. one location yeah and it, yeah and again this isn't necessarily a competition because they they said they did some incredible things i think we did some things yeah, better you're certainly forging your own paths and the the games as exactly. much as there were some sim similarities they also for sure diverged in a number of areas and, as well yeah and it like i said it was intimidating i know some members of the team also were very like oh man how are we going to to do this but also, like, the genre at the time for, for both Destiny and Division was new ground for, for us all. So there was definitely some teething pains in, in, in both everyone. products, too. So that's, yeah, it was exciting, nerve-wracking in many things, but it was, a, it was a fun one. I don't think I've ever met anyone at Bungie who worked on Destiny, which is a shame because I'd love to talk to them more. But, you know, what the, the team did with Division 2 as well, I think, to me... And this again, I'm slightly biased, obviously, but I think Division Two was the best one of that genre, like just out of the box, you know, not including everything. I think Destiny's sense. strength, yeah, I think Destiny's strengths is their like content update is really good. They know how to take, they really understand the whole feeling of a live game yep. and pushing that further. I think they they really got their, their heads on for that, and I just think you know if we just compared. The, any of them you know division one destiny one yeah, and two anthem anything i think division two was the, the best one i said i didn't work on division two i just think that was the one that was like it started to figure it out i don't think that's your bias speaking i would i would personally agree with that myself um as someone mm. who had played all up to that yeah by the time the division two came out i'd played all four of them uh, both you know the original division and destiny i'd play yeah. destiny two and then eventually division two and yeah i'd, I'd wholeheartedly agree with you and uh, um you know, even even with the games that have come out since then, I mean, we think about say Outriders more recently, which I haven't actually yeah. tried it myself, but it kind of fits in that space from what I'm led to believe. You obviously mentioned Anthem there, like this is still a a subgenre that's still evolving and kind of learning, exactly. learning its way and finding its feet at this stage. I don't think anyone's really a hundred percent mastered it yet. So, and yeah, as much as you you it. possibly can anyway. So, for sure, and it's also just great to see other people design. I said those genres in in a different perspective and seeing Outriders and, and they said watching Bungie all the stuff that they did I know people may not like Anthem but even seeing what Bioware was trying to push more with the narrative side on that again just in incredible to see that because it's 
for me and I'm sure many others, it's, it's a great learning opportunity to see, again, not just, you know, everyone focuses on what people got wrong or whatever, yeah. but for There's me to see what they got right too. and be like, yeah, be like, wow, this is, wouldn't have thought of this, wouldn't have thought of that. And it's, it's just inspiring. So, you know, my hat's off to everyone who's, who's worked on that genre. Because I know it takes a lot, and you know there's some incredible people that have worked worked on it all. Now, before you moved on to CD Projekt, which is what we're going to discuss next, um, you did mm. you worked on the core game of the division, but then you also got to work mm. on some of the DLC as well. So, yeah. g- given that you got the the game had released, you would have had an opportunity there to to see what people were saying and hear what the the general consensus mm. was. Did that bit of feedback there help you significantly in your work on the DLC? For sure. I think it also helps me understand more what people wanting from the level design yeah. as well, I think, as a whole team. I think a lot of us, I remember, it wasn't just me, there were other members who were watching stuff being streamed on Twitch at the time. Obviously, we're listening to reviews, forums, all of this, and everyone was gathering notes. We had a great time before we did the, the DLC where we all picked a game and broke down what we liked and what we think they did right from a level design perspective to see if there was something we could take from, from yeah. each of these games. And it was incredible because, again, you're seeing just how intelligent your team is from everything. And not only that, but how intelligent these other team members making these games we talk about are and just getting a chance to discuss that and take that information in with us and then hearing from the players as well. So, yeah, it was a very informative one for us. It was new, though, because Underground was procedurally generated, which... I don't think anyone, maybe one person, had worked on previously. So it was a whole new thing, especially so another for Division prospect. where you're handcrafting. Yeah, and Division 1 was set up where everything was handcrafted, right? Everyone was building these particular areas for this particular situation. But now you're having to build smaller sections that can be worked in, in many different ways. And again, yeah, it's a very looming thought process. But at the same time, a, a very interesting opportunity understand more uh, of a new, a new style of level design so yeah it was a good one uh, i ended up making uh my design director's favorite level in there so i take that as my my That's, seal of approval of yeah but it was a it was a funny one because again we talked about learning right there was a it was a sewer level and i remember i was going off to to make it and my lead at the time uh, daniel howard Daniel Howard, sorry, I've said that completely wrong. Daniel Howard's a friend of mine. Daniel Molnar, he's going to kill me. <laughs> he is that one. He's going to absolutely kill me. So Daniel Molnar, an incredible lead, incredible friend. Absolutely just think so highly of him as a level designer. And he was, you know, a great mentor for me through through those time periods. And he, uh, he, he stopped me from even going to the editor. He's like, do you know how sewers work? And I was like, not no. really he's like well then you're not touching the editor and now i know more about what happens when you flush the toilet than i ever wanted to know in my life but i know it now but this all informed again the design decisions to to make you know what ended up being the level design director's favorite level because of the research because of the references you did the time exactly you learned far more than you needed to a, but you did the time exactly and that's why i always say you know when i'm, I'm talking to people because i see the, the same issues that i had when i was younger in, in other people's work that you need to gather as much reference before you can start making something so i think that's always important so yeah it's uh just again fascinating to to always be learning more so yeah it was a it was a tough one because as i said it's a whole new way of thinking 
but we did some great work. The team really did an incredible, incredible job. So what prompted the change? This is our jump here to, uh, to CG Project. Mm. What prompted the jump between studios at that point? Uh, a couple of reasons, mate. I remember seeing the first Cyberpunk trailer when I was making mobile games at the time. I just remember seeing this trailer and be like, God, if I got a chance to work on that game, wow. And it came about, I had a, a couple of friends who were over there and they said, hey, we're looking for people. Do you want to try it? I think with this uh, with this industry, you have a lot of incredible opportunities to go see the world while, while doing the thing you love. And uh, I recently become single at the time as well. And I just thought, do you know what? Why not? Let's try something new. Yeah, exactly. I don't have to, to worry about anyone but myself. And, you know, again, nerve wracking moving countries for sure. It's, it's something I recommend to people, but it is a, a very trying experience, well, you, especially you're on your own. Hitting restart on a lot of aspects of your life leaving a lot behind yeah. it's an intimidating prospect that's it for sure and from there you know i i just took the took the chances as many people do in their career and yeah it worked it worked out and i've been fortunate enough to again work with another incredible set of people and it was a uh, got to see the world while doing it so i, I cannot really complain it was a uh, something something new and like i said the chance to, to see the world while doing the thing you love i think is isn't an opportunity everyone gets to do so if that opportunity does come knocking take it i think it should be should should be done yeah was it intimidating and i guess i keep going back to this intimidation idea but was it intimidating Mm. joining a studio there and i guess probably it was possibly intimidating for a lot of others already embedded at the studio anyway but to be creating the game that was following the witcher 3 oh god yeah. yeah oh god yeah like it's it's uh it's such a strange one because I mean, part of the reason that I joined there was Witcher Three as well. I loved uh, loved the game as, as much as anyone, yep. and it is a strange one to think about because also it's like a whole new it's a it's a whole new world, whole new game. It's not like hey, it's like a you know a sequel to the game or anything. It's it's a new it's a new title, a new IP, but you know it's going to be compared. So you can't help and it, even though it's yeah and even if it is vastly different so it's a strange thing but and it's even you know often these yeah. sort of things are a marketing thing too it's you know from the team who created the witcher 3 like yes so it, it, i guess yeah. even internally that's being pushed as something that kind of helps you know sell copies of the game i guess for sure and it's uh as i said it's a is it's a really like it was a daunting thing but the fact is you know everyone wants to try something new in terms of as a team it's a challenge I was a huge fan and still am a huge fan of the, the Deus Ex series, which I feel like, don't get me wrong, it was not by no means a carbon copy, but that style of, you've got many ways to approach yep. this, same with Dishonored, Arcane do incredible work there as well. It's very freeing for a, a level designer because it's not like, oh, you've, the way that we solve this is just going in and combat. You've got different ways to think, different ways to encourage players to move, which again, again becomes daunting because it opens up so much. But it's freeing as level designer to, to have those elements to, to to play around with. So, yeah, yeah, definitely daunting, and for sure. I mean, there's there's lots of challenges that come with with any project. Of course, mm. were there any in particular that really well challenged you? I guess throughout throughout your time working on the title. Yeah, I think like I said, the the amount of options, right? Because it's how do you make each of these options feel viable viable different as well so they're memorable so because you want those water cooler talking moments right where oh well did you try this and someone's like what no i didn't even know that that happened right so you're trying to think about that 
and how like I said how to make each one memorable in that point and how is that going to impact the narrative because CD Projekt Red's you know story is king and you can see it in, in, in every game that they've done how important characters the narrative all all of that plays a huge role so how do you sell those elements capture those emotions in the levels too so th- those were I think some of the biggest challenges for us as a team but like again I think what's cool about it because you have so many options is each LD you know we had we designed roughly in uniform but had their own ways to figure it out yep. which is incredible because each of these levels they don't feel carbon copies of one another they do feel different and they do have different elements because the designer has a chance to to use their own thought process behind it you know and again other incredible team members help with the environment artists animators cinema uh, cinematics team effects quests story you know rome was not built in a day and it wasn't built by one person no for sure incredible team members for it do you have a particular favorite whether it's you know level or component that you personally worked on that you're the most proud of do you know it was one that i didn't think i would be not necessarily proud of but i didn't think it would capture the attention this the credit here goes to to philip weber i think uh, for this but it's the one that a lot of people spoke about when the the first preview came out, which is about the the monk who gets captured by Maelstrom. Oh right! And then he's forced to get you know rewired, which is against his religious beliefs. And that level got a lot of attention and praise. And like I didn't get a huge amount of time to work on that level. It was it was a quick thing. I had to like I knew the story, what they wanted here. And I had to quickly make something happen. And luckily, like we talked about getting data, I was being fortunate enough to present the game on the previews. So I got to see what people are like, oh, they did this, yeah. they didn't do that. How can I make this? And, you know, a lot of people ended up really enjoying that. that Fantastic. That like blew my blew my mind. I think the, the other two though has to be, I worked in uh, a quest called I Fought the Law with Patrick Mills, uh, Timmer, there's other people, Michael Z and oh Michał sorry I pronounced that not in the Polish correct way Michał Z and other incredible Pavel and I'm going to forget people here so if I do forget names I do sincerely apologize but again like I said took incredible amount of people to make this work it's not just me by any stretch and it was this cool moment of you know you're trying to find this underground club and I'd been listening to a podcast called like 99% Invisible and it talked about how there was this smuggling operation going down in a small town in in texas between the border and basically someone had built this fancy house and everyone was like really concerned who this person was in the small town and they were building a pool but like no progress was ever being made they just had this tent over it and basically it was literally a tunnel going underground (laughs) under the border where people smuggling drugs through and it was such an such an interesting yeah thing to think about so basically we took this warehouse and we have these shipping containers in this warehouse obviously where people get their goods from and when you open the shipping container doors you find stairs leading down to an elevator which then goes down to the underground club and it's just you know seeing people's reactions from that was i think really cool because i know one one of our directors wasn't a personal fan of uh, this idea all oh, right okay but like we thought we, we got it and it had a great impact on, off. on people. I think that was a, a really nice, yeah, a really nice uh, moment for that. So, again, I, I, it's weird being a developer because you're only seeing the things that you either you didn't get on. time to do 
got changed, like didn't get changed in time. So you're always like, oh, there's that critical oh, eye that you've always got. Yeah, but those I think are the two moments. We got to work with Porsche for Johnny Silverhand's car, and my level is where you get the Porsche. Um, so that was a That's really cool. nice uh, moment. So where we revealed it, how we revealed it, that level itself is probably my best level I made on the game from a, just an LD standpoint. Uh, but yeah, like there's a, there's many few things that I'm proud of uh, for that, and it's uh, yeah, was was fun to fun to do, and I said a lot to still learn from. I think. Yeah, good to hear. One of the other really cool parts, and I guess while while we you know watch watch this space yeah. for whatever comes next uh, in in your work in the mm. actual game development side, one of the other really really cool things about what you do is not just about the games you create but the knowledge and the knowledge that you've consumed but it's also the knowledge you're sharing with others which oh, yeah. i mean i spoke before as a teacher is something that i mean that's that's my day-to-day and something that i love mm. seeing within this within this scene it's kind of the the basis for why i even tried to create this show like not that i'm the the game creator but getting the other people's voices on to share their knowledge and experiences yeah and it's something you yourself are doing a lot I mean, you, you can only, mm. you know, I'm sure we'll talk about it when we kind of plug some socials and the book and everything shortly, but um, <laughs> you only have to trawl through your, your Twitter feed and you're talking about mentorships, you're, share, you're sharing a whole bunch of insights about games that you've worked on, but also things that you're observing in others. Um, the fact that you're looking to share and impart so much of your knowledge and your experiences is something that I it just impresses me so much but is, is it something that i guess and again we'll dive into all the specifics and all the various different things you're doing shortly yeah. is it something that because ultimately so what it was 2014 when you when you finished your studies and kind of got into the industry yourself is there is there like a yeah. is there like a nagging thought in the back of your head that like and we spoke before about you know people with their years of experience and all those sorts of things is it some, was there something at any point in nagging in the back of your head saying have i have i got the credits in the bank to be doing this at all uh, I, yes, to be clear, to be clear everything I've sure. read, I've—I mean, I don't. Yeah, there's no. I, I haven't created a game. I haven't come close to creating a game. I think the best I've done mm. was creating little Zelda dungeons on paper when I was about seven or eight years old. And <laughs> um, for some reason, though, they always had like a slip and slide into another room. Stupid. Then anyway, Miyamoto would never. Oh, Miyamoto would never take it. Um, but <laughs> uh, was was it? Yeah, was there that little bit of doubt? Like, am I uh, almost like an imposter syndrome of sorts? Mm. Like, uh, am I in a position that I can yeah. or should be doing this yet? Because everything you've shared, and I was reading through it, like it's fantastic. I've learned so much from from reading the books, for example. Despite the fact that I don't have yeah. that experience at all, was that a worry yeah, for you? Man, no, I mean, I'm I'm glad that you enjoyed the books. Uh, yeah, dude. Yeah, the so like how it came to to be because i don't think everyone remember you know and, and why would they like i'm not exactly <laughs> i'm not game makers toolkit let's make that bit clear of myself as well in terms of like the uh understanding of, of who yeah. i am but yes it, it was but like i started writing articles back when i was like a junior level designer and that uh, that then that was just for me i the, the reason that i did this to start even with the articles before the podcast before twitter I didn't really use Twitter until I came to CD Projekt Red. Yeah, okay. I, I tweeted a couple of times, but not 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 much. The hey, I'm on and Twitter tweet, and then nothing for, yeah, for twelve months. I, I got in trouble. <laughs> I got in trouble with a company as well because I said I didn't. I wasn't a fan of their ad, and then they called me out on oh. it, which is funny as anything. So that was hilarious. But it was uh, it was just interesting because I didn't know how to use Twitter. I you know 
so each social media you've seen people who are able to master it and go through like i don't understand tiktok i'm old now no so i'm it's, with it's you all I no idea with that one yeah and but for those who do you know we're not judging or saying it's bad we just don't understand it that's yeah. that's all we're out of touch and it was the same thing with, yeah exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's why we're wearing just black all hoodies these cool to show you how i do it exactly so it was uh it was worrying but i think at the time the thing that i the, why i started doing the articles first was it was for myself to never forget like what i had learned because this way you learn a lot and you do forget a lot so it was always a, a place for me to be able to be like, okay like if i was to do this and to be better at it this is what i'd be doing so if people found it useful awesome if they didn't then you know it's still it, a handy resource you know, for yourself exactly and that was that was how the article started so i could always remember and i still do go read back and again i don't say that from an egotistical point of view i say that just because again that's how it started and it's reflection and that's how it was for sure and as i said it wasn't until i was an intermediate level designer that i was like okay i'm gonna i'm gonna try this and, and understand it and i think it came more from the point of i wish i had more resources when i was studying most of the conferences that you know we talked about earlier they've mainly had either artists or animators talking very little design and as i said i was not the perfect ld when i came out of university and i wish i was better and you know i'm better now but I'm, i still can be better even going forward and so if it can help someone understand a bit more then then that was about but yeah as imposter syndrome it, it built i think it, it made me nervous that there might be and there has been but you know people like ah you're wrong about this because of x y and z but nine out of ten like our our community is so incredibly kind people that disagree they tend to disagree not always in a horrid way they tend to just be like look actually i think this would be better if you did x y and z instead which is great but also the thing is with with anything there's a thousand ways to get to a result yeah and each one has a different one. And so there's merit when I'm sharing it, exactly. So there, there was nerves, but I think after meeting more people that are in our community, studying, and, and also just making it clear myself that the my methods are not the perfect methods. They're not the only ways, the only resources. And in recently, I've kind of changed my tweeting style to be more of questions. So instead of being like, hey, vantage points are awesome. Well, I think one of my latest tweets was like, vantage points are cool, but how do you make it so that it doesn't become overpowered? Yeah. And just, again, inviting people to Share talk about Share their experiences it, and feedback. Then, you know, it's, it's a learning tool for me just as much as anyone else. And people hopefully feel safe enough to share their opinion. Because I don't want people just patting me on the back and being like, God, you're so amazing. Because <laughs> it's not true. It's just not remotely true as much as I love to believe it. It's not true. So, it's, it's a, like I said, it's a learning experience. It is nerve-wracking. But I think at the time, there's, you know, there's incredible more resources now than there was back in, I guess, 2014, For 2015. Sure. You know, whenever I was starting starting my stuff well, i mean i think about i so think about I, what you're doing i think about uh what jason de from uh respawn does like he's mm. i mean there's some fantastic oh, he just, stuff there 
so that, that makes me feel imposter syndrome because that dude is a genius and i love reading his stuff like god damn he's such a smart so guy. insightful but, uh, but guy. i would argue the same the same is occurring with what you're doing and whether again whether it's um in your tweets whether it's the level design lobby podcast whether it's uh, whether it's the books mm. themselves there's so many fascinating insights there and it, it's interesting to see how you've kind of uh, tweaked that that approach to how you're engaging with people online yeah. just to not only share what you know and have learnt, but to you know take more opportunities to pick up from others. Yeah, and I think that's the most important thing as well. Is that we talked about there's so many ways to do design. I'm not the only one. The game changes so much. Like what might work for for Cyberpunk or Division might not work for Last of Us. Might yep. not work for Control or any other type of game. So you've got to always know that it's a shame because you always get asked the question of if you're making the perfect level what would you do and you can't answer that because there is so many other variables you can't yeah to, to put in and it's always a shame that you, you have to answer that way but that's just the truth of the matter and i i think yeah it's it's been fun to to watch all these other incredible resources these incredible other people who again way smarter than myself go through and express themselves and, and learn from you know you've also got uh, level design podcast your podcast we've got what else we've got uh psychology of video games game makers notebook, Den, all those sorts of things game makers notebook game dev garden you know i'll probably miss someone and i'll get an angry tweet later apologies about everyone there's lots and lots yeah, of you doing but, really awesome stuff so yeah there's there's all that out there and i think it's great to to see it because i too want to want to learn i mean that's part of the reason again why i did the podcast is i get incredible guests who I just get to shut up and learn from because they're just, again, valuable resources and we don't always get a chance to talk as, as developers to one another, especially with COVID, to other team members, people developing different games. We don't always get that chance. So it's always important to, to learn from people with different backgrounds, different styles. So, yeah. No, I, th I think it's all fantastic and I 100% agree that the more of this sort of thing we see, I think the better the industry will be and those that are those yeah. that are looking to get involved the more resources they have the better equipped they'll be when they start it just has this snowball effect that i think can only bode well for the future of the industry as far as i'm concerned yeah agreed mate agreed now let's discuss the books because uh yes. we last year we saw the release of uh let's design combat and then the most recent release as of about a month or so ago from when we're recording this your most recent uh title let's design exploration What's it been like um, yes. penning those those books and and putting them together and I assume sourcing more feedback mm. as you go? Yeah, I think that was definitely the strongest point of uh, imposter syndrome. I think for sure because when you're writing a book before, yeah, there's a prestige to it, right? Th there is, and you don't think about it because in the first one I didn't feel any pressure. Right, I didn't because it was no one as, as far as i was aware of had done like a, a solely combat focused book yeah right so i didn't feel there's any competition i don't feel i was going against anyone or anything like that so that was kind of freeing and also it's because i was learning a lot about combat at that time in my in my in my life so it felt like it was a really cool resource because i remember at the time on cyberpunk i was trying to learn more about combat to make better better spaces and i remember asking my lead oh do you know any any resources and there was one and oh man uh, i'm gonna forget his name but it's about he breaks down gears of war in his article on gamma sutra and how how they use their their layouts 
I sincerely apologize because I know he's a level designer over at Sumo and I've just forgotten his name, but he, he's done this incredible, incredible article and it was like the only thing I could find at the time. So I thought, well, why not try it? And some people had said that they wanted to see me, me do a book and I was like, okay. And I just thought, let's go for it. So it was a very nerve wracking one because before I even release it, while it's even in development, I will run it past multiple level designers to get their thoughts, their opinions, because the imposter system's there. You don't want others to to think that, you know, you're talking nonsense. Yeah. So you get others to to take a look and that was always great. I had some incredible LDs for, for both the books take take time out of their busy days to to help me improve it. So it was a a fun one. But yeah, like nerve wracking for sure. And I think it's just nice to to be able to say that they're out there and that people like I said it's mistakes that I wish I knew back in my early ages and I hope that it helps someone step into the role as an LD far better than than I did and that's the exciting part and I think also the fun fact for me was like how to design a book right there's so many incredible game dev books out there but they're like this thick you could kill a person with them if you got hit behind the back of the head with it right and I wanted to try something different for that. And there's nothing wrong with people doing that. I just wanted to try something different. And that's the thing that I guess, again, I've, you know, I've, I've mentioned it so many times, not making games myself, but you know, c- coming at it as a person who's obviously really tries to immerse himself in the game development scene and understand mm. the cycle and the processes and that sort of thing. I looked at that and thought, this is instantly accessible to me. I can, I, there's a lot that I took from it simply because uh, yeah. just even the use of you know, you know, pictures in some cases helped you know link and connect things and i started to then connect that to games that i had played I'm like oh i've seen this here and i've seen that there i found that really yeah. really helpful will i go on to make games yeah. one day oh, who knows maybe maybe not <laughs> but hopefully i just learned so much from from the uh, from both books um and the accessibility of it i think was one of the real key things for me I think, and you know, yeah. thank you very much for for sending me a copy of it in, uh, in advance so I could have a bit of a read. But I think, oh, yeah. I think if you'd have sent me something that was what you described, kind of that big, thick, unbelievably text-heavy thing, I probably would have been all at sea. Yes. And uh, sure, uh, these people who are going through their courses and completing their studies or whatever, they've obviously got a bit more of an understanding than I do. They're they're immersing themselves in a, um, you know, twenty four seven most like in a lot of cases. But they're still very inexperienced as well, and there's there's lots of things that they're still you know picking up and have never potentially never seen before. And so to have something like that in such an accessible format is so unbelievably important. I think. Yeah, I think like we we spoke about TikTok, right? You know, the way yeah. that we consume information is changing, right? Like our attention spans. There's so many studies that prove our attention spans are much smaller ever, than what they yeah. once were. Yeah, and I think. The other thing is, and again, like I said, that's not insulting anyone who writes those style of books. I, no, I, they're really valuable plenty too. Plenty of them on my desk. But it's the, the fact that a lot of the times, some of them either, they want to focus and try to share as much knowledge as they can, but it's hard to come back and reference later because obviously when you read a book, you don't consume all of it. It's best you know, read it, reread it a couple of times to get more and more stuff yep. in the head. And I love the 101 Things I Learned series, whether it be architecture school, urban design many of them and i loved it because again 
it was such a, a resource source and eye opener for me to be like, oh, okay, I can just have this on my desk and flick through it at any moment in time. And I think that was a huge like, inspiration for it. And also, a lot of the time we talk theory in these books, right? But as we all know, like theory is great, but it doesn't always work in practice. Yeah. And that's a huge thing. And I'm not saying, again, everything is perfect in my books. But what I'm saying is I took the practical, the stuff that has tried and trued and seen work in not only my career, in fellow other LDs' career, and was just like, this here is going to be a bit more helpful sometimes than theory. Just because, as I said, theory is important. It should be learned, no question. But especially when you're making something, like all those images come from me blocking that out first, now the Unity yeah. or Unreal, and then the artist sketching over so you can see it and just take if you wanted to take those block outs and just apply it to your own level like you could yeah it's it's that simple in a sense and that's what i wanted is again something solid for people to gravitate to and something that they can feel oh, okay i might not need it for this level but i can use it for another level and just take from it there and like i said you can constantly flick through these at any time you don't need to read it all in one going you can come back pick it up later that's that's kind of how i wanted it a little desk kind of warmer if you will no it's, it's fantastic like that um we'll get a chance to kind of double up on the plug again shortly but uh where can people mm. get the where can people get well both books i suppose but specifically exploration given it's the most recent title yeah sure so you can buy it either a digital copy on gunroad <laughs> you can buy either a digital copy on gumroad.com forward slash level design lobby or you can head over for the physical copies to buy it at lulu.com and just search for let's design there but we'll have hopefully a link to those in the description yeah i'll make sure to act, well, uh, throw so. those in there so be sure to go check them out another thing that uh has my head spinning as i go through all the things that you have done mm -hmm. currently do in terms of your your work creating as well as uh creating these these books and podcasts and yeah. mentoring opportunities which we haven't really touched on too much yet either but where are you finding the time <laughs> how, how are you managing <laughs> to do this i feel like doing yeah, this one uh, podcast keeps keeps me crazy busy on top of the full-time job you're doing mm. podcasts there's there's consultancy that you're doing through in that mentor form yes. there um you've got your own discord that kind of underpins all of that as well there's there's the podcast there's the books have you come up with the trick to find a 25th hour in a day <laughs> no uh i think covid has definitely helped oh, yeah. me in the sense of you know you got a bit more time but the i think for me man like there was a great i can't remember which uh where i heard it but basically just don't be superman you know i'm very fortunate enough where the the podcast makes enough money on its side as well as me being full-time employed yep where i'm able to hire like editors or other those who helped me on the, the discord so shout out to daniel and nate through that because those two are key pillars to to help with my, my discord there and be able to to help that and i'm just understanding that i do not know it all i cannot do it all and i have to schedule my days now and try divide it like i have definitely done it too much where i mean that's why i took a break from the podcast last month because the fact that doing the the book I did a personal level on a Spider-Man level. I did out in January. It's fantastic, by the way. I saw that. a video in February. And that kind of burnt me out a little bit. So I'm, I'm kind of planning my time a bit more and understanding what, excuse me, what projects I think are like needed and what can be changed and tweaked. So 
like, like the the third series in the book probably isn't coming out for a while now just because we managed to turn around the second book in four months the Ooh. first one took us like nine months but the fact that we're able to do that so fast is impressive but also it was a, a lot of work from again not just myself daniel howard who's the involved. editor keshnir who was the our fantastic artist on the second book so there was a lot there so it's again relying on other people understanding you know what is it that you want to do so like i shouldn't have wrote the book while simultaneously working on the level design for the spider-man so i won't be doing that moving forward so i'll be trying to plan it out and schedule and just think about what is it that i want to accomplish at that time whether it's helping people with, with books and podcasts or do i want to learn myself so yeah scheduling i don't enjoy it i hate scheduling stuff for my own time but i think it's important yeah, sometimes now. it's yeah to, to keep yourself accountable as well at times yes you may not be willing to discuss but uh the the mm. the last book oh sorry the original book combat the second one exploration mm. any chance you're willing to divulge what the core focus is for the ne- for this next title that obviously as you said you're going to slow down yeah. a little bit, but any willingness to divulge what that is of, of, of course mate of course so it, it's a toss-up right now between either stealth like stealth is the one that makes the most sense when you when you put it in yep. there it would, the cover would be green rgb right like oh, 100%. you'd get it it makes sense but it's either going to be stealth or narrative in level design. I haven't figured out which one yet. And I think that's going to be... That's kind of also why I'm taking a break to figure it out. Because my knowledge on stealth, one, isn't the strongest. Obviously, I know people who are far better. And although Cyberpunk had stealth, it wasn't the main kind of focus, yeah. right? Like, sadly, we're not seeing as many stealth-driven games. Hitman's kind of still going on in its own right. But Metal Gear's kind of gone with that. Mark of the Ninja was great splinter cell isn't here at the minute either so i'm it's kind a of dearth of of that sort of yeah focus. so i'm trying to figure out like again because i've still got a lot to learn like you'll see in all my books it's me studying it around about the same time so i'm kind of imparting the stuff that i've studied yeah. and learning from other incredible people so i'm like I said, it's either going to be narrative in level design or stealth in level design one of the two I, i'm still waiting to figure out which one it's going to be well, i'm looking, but looking forward to where it. i'm leaning right now for it and everyone who's listening just stay tuned i'm sure we'll learn soon enough yes so as we start for to sure. wind things down just cycling back to mm. you and a lot of your sort of focuses and those that you work with is there anyone out there that really inspires you in particular someone that in particular you've kind of maybe may put on a pedestal in some way oh, and kind of really yeah. inspires you in the way for you go about sure. it i'm sure this this is always a tricky question because you could go on but some people can go on for days but yeah uh i mean like there's incredible people that i've worked with uh i mentioned obviously manny andy i think uh graham wright Stuart scott uh we have a uh, scoop simon cooper barnaby zola like these incredible lds also we got that with uh natalia kendall matt uh seb miles anjay like you know all these incredible ones but i think the ones that like i put on the pedestal i mean these are like i'm not gonna say i put them on pedestal because i work with all these people i think it'd be weird if that was the case i'd still give them yeah let's give them grief if you're gonna throw them on the pedestal don't direct them to this show because it might make the next few interactions a little bit awkward for you (laughs) the dynamic words i think one of them is celia hoden I absolutely think Celia Hoden is one of the smartest people I've ever had the fortune to meet. She honestly is someone that I wish I wish I could be as smart as, and I absolutely put her on a, a pedestal for that. She's done some great books called Gamer's Brain. Um, she was she formerly did the UX for Fortnite. She's now consulting. 
I've been to conferences with her, which is great, just by chance. And she's she's been on the show as well, and we talk every now and then. That's awesome. She's by far one of my personal like, wow, just a just, great just brain a to wow. pick. Yeah, like I absolutely just think so highly of her. Um, there's there's others as well. I mean, look, Hideo is clearly Hideo Kojima is clearly one up there. There's no no question about it. I'm very fortunate to to meet him as, as well. Ah, uh, you're doing better uh, than me. He was in uh, he was in Australia a few years back, and the closest I got was kind of mm. watching as he walked into the toilets and like I can't I can't follow you in there like. <laughs> Yeah, no, exactly. That close. Uh, Hibata, the direct, former director on Crisis Core as well, like great for that. Um, I think also, let me just pull up the name here, just because I'm just going to make sure I say the name correctly on this one. No, that's right. Uh, Always got to make sure that the the respect is shown. Yes, exactly. Otherwise, I feel like I'm not doing it the the correct way. Um. But still, these are all you know really fascinating. Well, while well, you're finding that name, um, these are all really fascinating people who've done amazing things. And again, like the opportunities to, especially if you've had some sort of working relationship with them over the journey, the the opportunities to pick these brains or or just kind of see them mm. in action is no doubt invaluable. Oh yeah, the the other one I was looking for is Miranda Bellard, and she is fantastic. She is the I believe she she's now the art director, but she was kind of the architectural director of the Rockstar at Rockstar on the GTA franchises. Oh, yeah, okay. And her again, just I've been to the same conference, had the pleasure to talk with her. I just have so much respect for her. Like it just blows blows my mind how again because she's a master of like the architecture of this side of level design and because level design at rockstar is very different to to, the, to how i've worked at different companies because you don't have it it's all done by environment artists level designers are more scripters and just script what happens there yeah okay so it's a massive dynamic they need someone like her to to really push the the spaces more and again it's not just her there's a whole team to help her out right but again, just blows me away for sure. There's there's so many others I could go on and on and on and on about, but I, I feel that... Uh, oh, you mentioned Jason like before, I've, for I've, example, and yeah, some incredible the, people. The, I, think. I think the fact that like I have relationships with a lot of them would just make it weird, um, <laughs> and I don't really want to make it weird. I will say uh, a friend of mine, and again, another great uh, person, I think, is that of uh, Kevin Penkin from that of a uh, music position. He's done the soundtrack for florence which is great oh ken fantastic wong yeah ken wong director again he like we we have a, we had I mean, we still talk but obviously distance he was really helping with me for when i was just getting into the industry and i really really appreciate him and how his career has, has taken him i mean he had some fantastic directions. things to share when he came on the show a couple of years ago so oh did he, he? Um, brilliant he was, was wonderful to listen to Great, yeah, gracious enough to let nice me guy. into his apartment to sit down and have the chat too. So that was that was oh, great. Oh, that's brilliant. He's a he's a lovely person. I really like Ken. So he, again, he's done nothing but been kind to give me his time a lot. So yeah, there's there's probably even more that I'm not even aware of. You know, no, in terms many of that you're likely to meet still as well right now. Put on the spot, but yeah, those all again. It's just because you can tell they're, they're dedicated and their style of thinking is so different or so focused 
and that's you know part of the reason why is that I, I work with people that I respect and love working with already and it's a great pleasure to to call them friends and to even just to speak to some of these people that like we said uh, really hold in, hold in high regard so it's been yeah a yeah an incredible thing incredible thing to to learn from and just watch and you've got many years in this industry still to come so you're going to meet many more fantastic people yes. i'm sure as more people emerge and do some sure. wonderful things so there's still so many really awesome things to learn it's gonna be great i'm sure yeah man exactly mate it's all exciting all learning all learning my friend couple little curly ones as we wrap things up which aren't necessarily specific mm -hmm. to your work in the career so far if you could be credited for any game that's ever existed so just retroactively add your name in there for mm. whatever reason it could be the, the the culmination of all the all the work it could just simply be one aspect that a game did so unbelievably well in your eyes what game would it be so i have a couple just because i think there's like many in different ways like if i could take credit for just one mechanic that mechanic would be the saving system in ico oh, yeah. the fact that like you have this ai and you know people don't like the ai escort missions and you know there's reasons for that but the fact is they made yora so valuable because you need her to save the game and the fact there is no music or basically very little so music throughout the game until you hit the save point like it's so smart i think and i don't think always because it works and not everyone's like thinking about it, but i think like if that was a mechanic i could have worked on because save systems like it's very rare that they're changed where they have an auto save or a save point it's very rare they're integrated into some sort of like design yeah, like alien did a great one uh, for that and and others but like that would be where i steal a mechanic from someone for sure that mechanic to me was was, was so good fantastic choice um, the tearaway would be a one i wish i could have worked on because i think it's just so different and how they they you know the vita has different elements to it and it wasn't a gimmick on that game it was so integral to the design that I, I i truly loved that i think that was as just an overall game if i could just slide my name into that one it would have been that like incredible work from everyone at medium molecule as well so no there's some awesome choices one. yeah and i think one more if i had to try steal a level it would be on last of us left behind there's a certain section in there where you play as ellie in the mall and you've got to like turn on this power but like it's a small room but you three different ways like then yep. you electrify the water then you got to go up top on the things and then you got to go even higher like that blew my mind it is such a small space but you reuse it more times than any giant level has ever been reused and it gets you thinking differently that to me has to be again if i if i could have stolen that idea it would be that one there's other incredible levels out there that i love i just think that one to me was just one that just opened my eyes a bit more to level design at the time yeah, so I, I wish i knew the 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 ld's name on it to to fully give them credit but i i sadly don't i've sadly not met them yet so hopefully one day i do i'd love Who to knows? say thank you for it uh if you could replay any one game so you've what and what you've wiped your memory of it and get to just re-experience a game i think i know the answer given what we've discussed so far but if you could re-experience any one game for the first time what game would it be oh man that's such a, a tough one i'm gonna give two and just cheat but like the first one will be zelda breath of the wild oh yeah that game like i love so much and like i'm only mad that i've completed it because like you can't 
you can't re-experience the exploration of, oh, of that sure. game again. So that'd be the first, and it probably would be Crisis Core. There we go. <laughs> yeah, I'd probably say that one. That or God of War as well. I'll slip in God of War 2018 in there too. But some uh, fantastic yeah. choices. Some good ones. Some good ones. So did yeah. did expect to hear Crisis Core. What would you do? Oh, jeez, oh, I hate when everyone swings this around on me because I'm never, I never really, I've never really thought about it. I mean. Hmm. for similar reasons that you're talking about with Final Fantasy 7 Final Fantasy 9 is always right up there hmm. but um, and this is actually one that I I do want so you mentioned God of War 2018 before that's one that I actually want to go back to so when I when I first played that game hmm. um, so it was yeah, 2018 our first child was on the way but hadn't arrived yet right and so I'd love to be able to just kind of wipe my memory of that game and re-experience it because of that perspective shift now that I've become a dad. Yeah. And obviously that that relationship between Kratos and Atreus in the game is one of the key things and uh, yes. one of my one of my good mates from um from this kind of games media scene speaks about how he was you know brought to tears by the whole thing and I was certainly I was certainly impacted when I played it but I guess without that core thing to be able to relate to there was just a little bit I'm not going to say it's missing because they, they were still wonderfully implemented the entire system and everything around it the narrative but yeah. to be able to re-experience that with my current life situation yeah. and I think I still will replay it but to be able to not know what was coming I think would be super important for me so that's kind of the one that I missed it by about six months <laughs> yeah could have been a different one yeah no it's interesting again but again I think that's showing the power of games right like yeah. how it can change differently moving moving forward with us as well as, as, as people right so yeah as our lives change yeah so yeah no good answers as well good answers and we'll wrap things up there so mm. thank you very very much for, for coming on board the show Max I've really really enjoyed everything that you've had to share before we disappear we better again shout out you everything you do the books themselves sure. Max if people want to get in touch where should they go sure thing mate so if you want to get in touch with me i'm very active on twitter it's at max pairs if you want to email any questions to me then please head over to leveldesignlobby at gmail.com if you do want to listen to this and you're sick of seeing my face but enjoy the smooth jazz voice then head over to my podcast called level design lobby and if you can't stand anything about me then check out the books at least which is called let's design combat and let's design exploration my series there and hopefully more to come soon so thank you and as I mentioned before, especially when it comes to the books, I was coming at it as a layman and learnt so much from those books. They are so incredibly accessible. So please, even if you're just considering dipping your toes in for the first time or or maybe you're just purely a consumer and maybe that's all you'll ever consider yourself to be, but you just want to learn a little bit about it, it's a really great place to start. So well worth, uh, well worth checking out. But Max, thank you very much for coming on board the show. I've really, I've loved every moment of it. Thank you so much for sharing everything. Thank you very much for having me, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure. I really enjoyed it. So thank you for your great work. Thank you. And listeners, as always, thanks a lot for watching and listening. I'll see you next time. See ya. That concludes this entry of Dev Diary. Be sure to subscribe to this feed, share it with your friends, and give us a five-star review to help boost the show up the charts for greater exposure. 
you have any people you'd like me to reach out to an interview, then please find me at Paul James Games on Twitter to help me get in touch with them. Until the next episode, however, that's in Max's story. Thank you much for listening, and I'll see you next time.